Good morning, Bridge friends and family. So good to be with you in worship today, wherever you are. I know we've got folks from all over the country, all over the world watching us, and I'm so glad that you're a part of what God is doing as we continue uh, to worship him, uh, particularly during this season that we're in. We're in a series that we're calling Felt Board Faith. And what we've been talking about is, is stories from our childhood. And, and frankly, whether you have a church background or not, these are the kinds of stories that we've all heard. We've heard them in many forums, in many ways, and so there's kind of familiar storylines, but we're not trying to just rehearse those stories. We're actually trying to pull some, some truths that relate to what's going on in our lives today from these stories. So today, we're talking about the story of Daniel and the lion's den, and I love the imagery uh, from the little graphic that you just saw uh, of Daniel and the lion's den. It's, it's designed for kids, and I get that, but, but it's such a sweet picture. Is it Daniel, this young, handsome guy who's just kind of chilling, you know, and the lions are kind of gentle looking and, you know, falling asleep, yawning, they look like little kittens around him. Uh, and, and, and I get that for kids, but the fact of the matter is, uh, it just ain't true. It's just not the way it was. Daniel, by this time in his life, is probably around 80 years old, uh, which means that he has eight decades of faithfulness to our God. And at the same time, earning the favor of the kings that he served because he served at a, at a much higher level. The lions, of course, were very real, ferocious lions that would tear your bodies apart. And so this was a very tense environment, a very tense place. Darius is the third player in our story, and he's the king on the throne, actually the third king that Daniel served during his years there. Uh, and Darius was best known as this genius administrator. His first act as king was to organize the nation and put 120 governors over the nation, and then he established three supervisors, administrators, over those 120 governors to make sure that they didn't rebel, make sure that they didn't mishandle money, that kind of stuff. And Daniel was one of those three administrators. So you got the background. Let's get into it. I want to see if we can pull out some truths, three specifically, that will help us in our lives. So let's pick up our story. Daniel chapter 6, beginning with verse 3. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. You can go to the YouVersion Bible and search it. Or you can go to the Bridge NC app and download the very notes that I'm using this morning. You'll get all the points, all the scriptures that I'm doing. So let's look at it together, okay? Verse 3. Daniel 6. Daniel showed that he could do the work better than the other supervisors and governors, so the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. Side note, can I tell you that Daniel's one of my heroes in the faith? <laughs> one of the reasons, that, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that he is, he's a hero to me is that Daniel had this amazing lifelong journey <coughs> of being faithful to God and having increased favor in the culture where he lived. He, he had this amazing ability to stay true to God and still relevant to his community. And I'm convinced that that's maybe our highest calling as Christians uh, and as the church on this side of eternity is that we're supposed to stay absolutely true to God's word, but at the same time, we have to be influential in the culture because we're called to be salt and light. The sad reality is there's an awful lot of Christians and churches out there that are true to the word, they're true to their theology and doctrine, but they've become culturally irrelevant in the process. 
other churches are socially engaged and, and they've almost become kind of social worker organizations, but they've abandoned the word of God in the process and therefore they've become ineffective. We're, as a church, we're called to have both, to be faithful to God's word and to make a difference in our world and Daniel had both. The result is that Daniel's about to be promoted above his peers. Sound like a great day, right? He's about to get a promotion to second in command of the nation. What a wonderful day that is. But in fact, Daniel is about to face one of the biggest offenses of his life. The good news is that he comes out successful on the other side, which means that we can learn from his experience. Hopefully, we won't have to go through it ourselves. So in the few minutes we have, let me just simply identify three truths from the story that's familiar perhaps to us all and and in the process. I hope I can help you stand true when offenses come. I can help you to stand strong when offenses come. Let's get into it. Truth number one is kind of a warning. It's designed to give us a heads up so that you won't be surprised when it happens. And it simply says this, when God raises you up, Satan will try to pull you down. When God raises you up, Satan will try his best to pull you down. For some of you, that means, you know, you've just committed your life to Christ. You've just asked Jesus to come into your heart and you've gotten forgiveness and a fresh start in life and a new outlook on life and you're so excited about it, you can't hardly wait to tell somebody about it and you go home to an environment that doesn't understand what you've just done and they look at you like you're crazy and they start calling you a holy roller now and and it hurts. I remember the night I gave my life to Christ and I was so excited that I had this fresh start with Jesus and I ran downtown to the place where all the guys used to hang out and do all the stuff that young guys used to do and and I pulled up on the lot and said, guys, you're not gonna believe it. I got saved tonight. And they said, saved, what? You got a car wreck? What What do you mean? What's saved? They didn't understand. They came up with nicknames for me that I won't quote in church, and it hurt. For others of you, it might be that you've been serving the Lord for a while, but right lately, you've got in the scripture. You've got in, you've been reading the Bible, and you've been uh, uh, listening to teachings, and and you've just let the word of God begin to take a root in your heart, and there's a fresh excitement, a fresh passion uh, in your heart, and and, and to the point that it's actually making some Christians around you a little bit uncomfortable. Man, he's gone off the deep end now. I don't know what's going on over there. And you, after a while, begin to realize that if I want to have fellowship with these people, then I, I feel sort of pressured to backslide to the level of the lukewarm Christians around me. And it hurts. Or maybe you've heard God speak recently and he's told you to do something that you know is God, you've tested it, you know it's God. Maybe it was to join a church staff and, and make a fraction of the money you used to make or maybe it was to give a generous gift into the kingdom of God or, or maybe it was to become a one-income family during this season so your kids would have one parent at home with all the stuff that's going on and the people closest to you who don't understand and are worried are saying, man, you're gonna starve, you can't do this. Are you kidding me? You can't afford to do that. And it hurts. In fact, this kind of pull you back stuff is so common that we actually have a name for it. We call it the crab syndrome. 
the CRAB crab syndrome. If you've ever been crabbing, you live near the ocean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You start catching crabs, you put them in a bucket, and what happens? You start getting a few crabs in the bucket, and eventually one brave guy decides he wants out of here, and he starts climbing up on top of the other crabs. He starts reaching for the lid, and the other crabs that are in there are saying, no, 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 dude. If, if we can't get out, you can't get out, and they actually start pulling him back down into the bucket. If we can't be free, you can't be free. That's kind of how it works. Wait a, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. You, you said Satan would try to pull me down, but every illustration you just gave me is of people doing it, and that's true, but you need to understand something really important, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. Why is that so important? Because if you don't identify the real enemy, you'll fight the wrong battles with the wrong weapons and end up ultimately losing the war. So you've got to be sure you understand. Don't be surprised when Satan uses people to do his job but understand that at the end of the day, those people are not your enemy. It is the devil who's trying to bring division and pain in the world. Uh, so, uh, and that's exactly what happened to Daniel. Let's get back to our story. Verse four, Daniel six. Because of this, I'm talking about that planned promotion, the other supervisors and governors, in other words, the jealous supervisors and governors, trying to find reasons to accuse Daniel about his work in the government but they could not find anything wrong with him or any reason to accuse him because he was trustworthy and, and not lazy or dishonest. Finally, these men said, you will never find any reason to accuse Daniel unless it is about the law of his God. In other words, okay, guys, we got to stop him. Let's go digging for some dirt, and if we can't find any, we'll make some up. Sounds like 21st century politics to me, but... All I'm saying is don't be surprised when Satan uses people, people who have allowed Satan to influence their thinking, to go after you when God begins to elevate you. Remember what Jesus said about that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. People will insult you and hurt you. They will lie and say all kinds of evil things about you. Why? Because you follow me. But when they do... What does it say? You will be blessed. That says to me, it's going to happen. Prepare yourself. It's exactly what happened to Daniel. Just remember who the real enemy is when it comes. Got it? So let's get back to our story. So the jealous guys go to King Darius, start buttering him up a little bit and say, hey, Kingy, you're so awesome. You're an administrative genius. You're amazing. We, we think you should issue a decree that anyone who dares to pray to any other God except you for the next 30 days, let's just say 30 days, will be thrown into the lion's den just to make a point. And Darius, who knows he's not a God, but, you know, subject to pride like any of us, starts thinking, it would be kind of nice to be treated like one. So he makes the decree. Didn't think it through because he loved Daniel. Had big plans for Daniel. He knew who Daniel was. It was clear what Daniel's character was. But he made the decree. Daniel was well known as a man of prayer. So they got him right where they want him now, right? The, the, these jealous guys have got him exactly where they want him. The, the answer is, only they've got him 
only if Daniel lets them set the agenda. They've only got him where they want him if Daniel lets them set the agenda. Here's, here's the reality. Daniel had three options at this point. Option number one, he can become a victim. He can react to that offense by saying something like, Lord, I've been faithful to you for 80 years. I, I, I can't believe those guys would do this to me. I can't believe you would let this happen to me. Woe is me. Or he could have taken option two and, and become an attacker. How dare they do this? I will show them. I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to post really ugly stuff on their Instagram and their Facebook. I'm going to show them. Or he could choose option three, be an overcomer. He could rise above their petty jealousy and their junk, just be who God called him to be. Question, which option do you think Daniel chose? Obviously, option three is the choice, the best choice, but let's be honest, it's easier said than done. After all, Daniel hadn't actually done anything wrong, and what those guys did was hugely offensive, not to mention they carried the death penalty with it, being eaten by lions, which leads us to the second truth that I want us to deal with in dealing with offense, and that is you can choose how you will respond. Yes, when God raises you up, Satan will try to pull you down, but you still get to choose how you're going to respond. Let's go to verse 10. Even though Daniel knew that the new law had been written, he went to pray in an upstairs room in his house, which had windows that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times each day, Daniel would kneel down and pray and thank God just as he had always had done just as he always had done. One more time, say it with me, just as he always had done. In the face of this horrible offense of accusing him of something he was absolutely not guilty of, uh, an offense that, that potentially carried a death penalty with him, Daniel just kept doing what he'd always been doing. He kept being who he'd always been. He just kept being faithful to God and faithful to staying in tune with his God, can I tell you that if we've ever needed Daniel's role model, we need him now? Recently came across a message from Pastor Robert Madhu who gave some voice to some thoughts that, uh, that I've been wrestling with and processing through for some time. Here's what he said. He said, you tell me, you tell me if you agree. We are living in the age of offense. Agree? I mean, it seems to me that everybody's offended by something you do. I mean, victimhood has gone viral. There, there was a time when being offended was considered a character weakness and now it's considered to be a, a constitutional right. I have, the, I have the right to be offended. What do you mean you're not offended? I'm offended that you're not offended. Men are offended. Women are offended. Millennials are offended. Baby boomers are offended, Democrats are offended, and Republicans are offended, and atheists are offended, and Christians are offended, and vegetarians and vegans are offended. I mean, it's just, we're living in the age of offense. Have you heard about this? I saw an article just the other day. There's a group of vegans, animal rights activists, are calling for the removal of all animal-based metaphors in the English language. They even gave some examples. 
Phrases like bring home the bacon. We can't say that anymore because you have to kill a pig in order to get bacon. Therefore, we should be now saying bring home the broccoli. Here's one. You're beating a dead horse. I think that's horrible. So you, you should say we're, you're feeding a fed horse. Okay. Instead of killing two birds with one stone, now we should be saying feeding two birds with one scone. I mean, it's just, yeah, some of you are listening to me right now and you're thinking, man, the world has gone absolutely crazy, but here's what I need you to understand. What is silly to you is serious to them. And what is serious to you is often silly to them. That's the power of this thing. So before we get all fired up about how crazy they are, we need to face reality that no matter how spiritual you are, if somebody pushes the right button on the wrong day when you forgot to pray, you may well find yourself in jail right beside the crazies who are willing to go to jail for their cause. We're living in the age of offense. Now, here's what I need you to understand. This age is one of the key signs that we're coming to the end of the age. Matthew 24, after Jesus told his followers that the, that the day was coming, that he would return and, and establish his kingdom, they said, okay, well, well, what are the signs of your coming? How will we know that we're getting close to that time that you're coming? And Jesus lists a bunch of things, a bunch of things, quite frankly, that we've been watching for some time now. Things like false teachers and and wars of rumors of wars and kingdom against kingdoms and, and food shortages and earthquakes. I mean, we've seen all that stuff going on. But uh, verse 10 struck me this week as I was reading through that passage again in a fresh kind of way and asking the Holy Spirit to teach me. In verse 10, he says, then, so he's given us litany of, of, of all the, the signs of his coming, the earthquakes and pestilence and all that stuff. And then he says, then, as if those things weren't bad enough, it's going to get so bad, he says, that many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, when he's given them instructions, he said it's impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, I guarantee you, offenses are going to come. But here's what I want you to get. Lean in for just a minute. I need you to get this. Jesus says many will be offended. He did not say all will be offended. He said, I guarantee you offenses are coming. Many will be offended. He did not say all would be offended. That says to me that offenses and being offended are two very different things. Offenses may well come to all. Jesus guarantees it. But being offended will not. Offenses are going to happen. Being offended is a reaction. Offense is something that's done to you. Offended is your response to the offense. Offenses are coming. Being offended is your choice. Before you make that choice, what I need you to understand is the word offenses in the original manuscripts that were in Greek is the word scandalon. We get the word English word scandalous from it. And scandalon literally means a snare or a trap. 
What I'm trying to get you to understand is that Satan wants you to respond to an offense by being offended because when you do, he's got you in his trap. He's got you in his snare. And every one of us knows what this is like because every one of us have seen it and or experienced it for ourselves. We've watched it. As the spirit of offense has invaded married couples, it's invaded families and extended families, it's invaded churches, it's invaded racial groups, it's invaded nations. Satan knows that if he can get us into the trap of being offended, it's incredibly difficult to get out of it. Solomon said 2,500 years ago, Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, which is why Paul instructed Timothy, young pastor Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 6, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that they will come to their senses and, what's the phrase? Escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Why did Satan get him in the trap? So that he could influence their thinking so that they would do his will. That's his goal. And what's our response? Our response is not to be quarrelsome. It's to be kind. It's not to be mean-spirited. It's to be loving. It is our only hope of helping those people that are caught in these things to get free from that trap. What's Satan's will? It's division. That's what he wants to do, is he wants to divide families. He wants to divide churches. He wants to divide racial groups, both between other racial groups and within racial groups. He wants to divide nations. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. You understand that, that the Bible says without a vision, the people perish, but the opposite of vision is not blindness. The opposite of vision is to put the prefix D-I on the front of it. D-I means to oppose. So the opposite of vision is division. If Satan can get us divided, then ultimately he can steal, kill, and destroy. Simply put, it is impossible to live without offenses coming. It's very possible to live without being offended, which is exactly what the hero of our story did. He was a target of a horrible offense, but he refused to react as a victim or an attacker. He just kept being who he'd always been, faithful to our God. Which leads me to our third truth today, and we'll close. First of all, when Satan raises you up, when God raises you up, what's Satan gonna do? He's gonna do his best to pull you down, and his favorite way to do that is to manipulate people who are allowing them, him to influence their thinking to offending you. That's, that's his favorite way to do it. Second truth, you get to choose how you respond to the offense. The offense is gonna come. Your choice is whether you will be offended. Truth number three then is when you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. You can always trust God with the results. Let's pick up our story in verse 20. 
And of course, Darius has made the decree. Daniel has prayed just as he always did. Darius has put in that awkward situation now. Oh man, what do I do? I love this man and I know he has no ill will in his body toward me, but I have no choice but to throw him in the lion's den. It's the next morning now and the king has rushed down to the den to see what's going on. As Darius came near the den, he was worried. He called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God that you always worship been able to save you from the lion's? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to close the lion's mouths. They've not hurt me because my God knows I am innocent. I never did anything wrong to you, O king. Now let me be clear about something. We'll bring this to a closing thought. When Daniel determined not to be a victim, determined not to be an attacker, he determined to be a proactor, not a reactor. I'm going to just continue being faithful to God and trust God with the results. He didn't actually know what would happen when he was thrown into the lion's den. He didn't actually know whether the lions would eat him or not, but he knew who he trusted. He knew the God that he trusted and he entrusted his life to him. Here's what I'm here to tell you. You can trust the Lord with the results. The only question really is what does it take for you to be offended? I mean, what does it take? Can I tell you that while I was writing this message, I was this week, I'm writing this message and, and praying and thinking and just preparing to share these thoughts with you. The inbox of my email dinged and I'm one of those guys when it dings, it drives me crazy. I have to go see what it is and, and stop everything. And so I did, I opened it up and it was somebody writing to criticize my message from last Sunday and I was offended. I mean, it's like, hmm. I can't believe I'm getting this in the middle of this. And so in my offense, I finally calmed down and went, okay, uh, uh, well, I guess I better read it. To, you know, if there's truth in it, I, I got to deal with it and I better process through it. And I'll frame an answer for this thing. And as I read it, I began to realize that this person, whoever wrote it, didn't even hear my message last week. They, they, they didn't even know who I was. It was one of those kind of blanket emails that went out to every pastor, preacher that they could get an email address for. Who knows how many thousands or millions of people this thing went to. And it was just, it was just a blanket kind of attack on preachers. And as I read through it, I calmed down. But then it occurred to me, you know what, Jim, if you're not guarded about this thing, you can fall into offense as good as anybody else. You're just as vulnerable to becoming offended as anybody else. So you better guard your heart. You better make a decision intentionally before the offense comes. Choose not to be offended. I choose to forgive the offender. I choose to forgive the offender. I choose to be who God's called me to be. This is how I fight my battles. It may feel like I'm surrounded with offenses, but the truth is I'm surrounded by you and I trust you. Hear me guys, the level of your offendability is directly related to the level of blessing God can bring into your life. As long as you choose to play the victim, you've bought into Satan's agenda. 
choose to be the attacker you've bought into Satan's agenda. It's only when you say, I'm going to be the faithful man or woman of God, boy or girl of God, I'm going to be faithful to who God called me to be, and I'm going to trust him with the results, that you release God's anointing and blessing in your life. Simple truth is you will never be able to handle the big things if it only takes a small thing for you to be offended. Daniel's story makes it clear. Living for God doesn't exempt us from offenses. Jesus said it. People will insult you and hurt you because you follow me. The only question is how will you respond? Victim? Attacker, overcomer. I choose to be an overcomer. I want you to join me, would you? In fact, I'd like to pray that prayer if you would consider right where you are, bowing your head, closing your eyes and praying this prayer with me. Pray it out loud, pray it silently, I don't care, but do it in your own words, of course. But pray this simple prayer. Lord, my heart is guarded. I know that offenses are going to come. Sometimes from quarters I didn't expect them, from people that I never thought would. I recognize that's going to happen. But here and now, I choose not to be offended. I choose to rise above it by simply being who you called me to be. I choose to be a forgiver. I choose to trust you with the results. In Jesus' name, maybe as you're praying that prayer, you're realizing that you've allowed yourself to fall into one of those traps. You've been ensnared for too long. You've been a victim, you've been an attacker, you've, whichever, you've, you recognize now it's a, it's a snare of Satan. You don't want to be in his trap. You want to pray this prayer? Yeah, come on, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me for allowing an offense to get into my choices and I made the wrong one. I chose to be offended. Help me to rise above it in Jesus' name. By your power, by your grace, forgive me. Give me a fresh start today. Help me going forward to be an overcomer even as you overcame the most amazing offense of all died for the sins of mankind of every generation every lie every piece of gossip every manipulation every murder every rape every robbery you died for all of those sins you didn't deserve any of it you took it upon yourself so forgive me, give me a fresh start. You be my role model, let Daniel be my role model. And I'm gonna trust out of that, Lord, that you'll use me to make a difference in my generation and in my world for the building of your kingdom and the healing of our land. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thank you so much for being with us in service today. I'm so glad that you were here. I do pray. I've been praying all week that, that you would be here and that you would hear these words and they would sink into your heart, that you would choose to be an overcomer, that you'd find healing for the offenses that have been thrown at you, no matter what the source, begin to rise above them and become the overcomer that God's called you to be and that God will empower you to be. Let him fight the battles. Let him do it. You be the person of God he's called you to be. God bless you guys. Can't wait to see you next Sunday morning as we continue our series in Felt Board Faith. I can't wait to hear what God's gonna say to us as we gather together again. Would you text me? Would you send me an email? Would you fill out a connect card, write me a note? Let me know you prayed that prayer. Let me know how we can serve you, how we can pray for you this week. Thank you for the honor. In Jesus' name. Father, go with us. Bless our great nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Help us to be agents of a nation based upon God. In your name, the lovely name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today.